Please open your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 15. And when you find that, please stand with me to read God's Word if you are able. I know those who can't want to. But we do so to remind ourselves that this is God's Word and not man's Word. Uh, I'm excited about Matthew chapter 15. I've been excited about everything I get to preach from God's Word. But uh, this chapter, we're going to see Scripture, Jesus Christ, grace, faith, God's glory. uh, So much here today, Scripture alone, God's Word over man's opinions. So we're going to read verses 1 through 9, Matthew chapter 15. When Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So, for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, as doctrines the commandments of men. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence with us. And Lord, we know that your word comforts us and challenges us, and also by your spirit, you convict us. And Lord, this is a convicting passage of scripture. And Lord, I pray that you would give us understanding into it, that you would teach us, that that your agenda for us would be fully realized this day. We pray, Lord, uh, in faith in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So we're talking today about Scripture alone, God's Word over man's opinions. Now, one of the primary teachings of the Reformation that really a biblical teaching that the Reformation recaptured was what is known as sola scriptura, scripture alone or only scripture. And that does not mean that, that scripture is the only thing in the world that contains truth. It doesn't mean it's the only truth that exists. But what it means is that our salvation, our faith, our practice as believers is built only on the word of God. Based on scripture alone. Now, we would agree with that in principle. The problem is our practice gets in the way. The way we live gets in the way and basically pulls the rug out from under what we say we believe. And there's something I want you to see today. I'm just going to put it right up here right away, and it's this. I want you to see that God wants His Word to be our ultimate authority. That there is no greater authority in our life than God and His Word. And there's a reason. It is so that we would worship Him appropriately and teach His truth accurately. If you look at verse 9 that I just read, it's really all about teaching and worship. Everybody worships and everybody teaches. 
you give your primary affections to someone or something and you model and expound on your views all the time. So here's what we're going to do today. I want us to first look and see what does the text say? What does it say? And then what did it mean to the first hearers when Jesus was, was in this situation? What did it mean to those Jews, those scribes and Pharisees and, and Christ's disciples that were listening? And then we're going to see what it means for us. How do we respond uh, implications for our lives going forward. So that's the plan for today. So let's begin in verse 1. John tells us that some scribes and Pharisees came from Jerusalem to Jesus. Now I can picture them marching proudly from Jerusalem. Here they are bringing the big guns in from Jerusalem, from the home office. And they're coming in. I can see them dressed in their, in their festal robes and their fancy regalia. And they're arrogant. They're right in their own minds. They're, they're righteously angry. And they're coming to set Jesus straight. And they say to him, verse 2, they ask him a question. Why do your disciples... Looks like they're pointing at the disciples, but they're really pointing at Jesus. In those days, disciples tied their entire identity to the teacher that they followed. And and they're really asking Jesus, why do you allow and encourage your disciples to do what they're doing? Which was to break the tradition of the elders. The tradition of the elders. This was their primary point of contention with Jesus that they did not recognize what they he did not recognize what they considered authoritatively binding upon everyone now they were talking about the tradition of the elders being broken the word tradition comes from a word meaning to hand over or to pass down and the tradition of the elders was a technical way of referring to oral interpretations of scripture made in the past by respected rabbis through the ages through the years later on it was connected to the Mishnah's halakha which means walking it was to guide their faithful walking or living through life as they attempted to follow God's word they wanted to live consistently with the scriptures or so they thought You see, many Jews believed that the fathers or the elders could be traced all the way down from Moses receiving the oral law from God through to the prophets and and then to, to their present day. From Moses to Joshua to the elders to the prophets and then in their mind to the men of what was known as the great synagogue. A group of 120 Uh, Elders that came up from the exile with Ezra and they committed themselves to making scripture practically relevant by developing new rules and here's what they did new rules, new restrictions, new regulations all built on God's word and the problem was what happened was they came up with so many things and then their ideas this was all orally all given word of mouth now you know what happens when, when news spreads word of mouth from one person to the other, and how twisted those things get. They orally gave all these regulations and rules, and you were to follow them, but the problem was 
they began to see their oral rules and regulations as equal with God's word. The problem got worse, though. There were some, actually many, that then began to think that their oral traditions were more binding, more authoritative than God's word. Now, we can all look over to the past and say, wow, what were they thinking? The only thing is, is when we ask ourselves the the question of, are there any traditions that I'm holding to that I put over God's word? When When we realize what some of those things are, we realize, oh, wow. We're just like them. We have the same tendencies. The traditions of the elders, um, they had three things that they said, by the way, that they were, their, their, their job. They said, be, be, um, be deliberate in judgment and, and raise up many disciples and put a fence around the law. So their idea was that all these rules and regulations and stipulations and instructions that people had to follow we're, we're a protective fence to keep the law pure. The only problem is they pretty much X'd out God's word by all their rules and regulations because they weren't from God's word. They were ideas about God's word or even things not having to do with God's word that they kind of tacked on. And their fence became deadly because their fence became something where, hey, if I just do this, this, and this, I'm right with God. It's the same, the same temptation today. If I just do these things, I'm okay with God, and you, you bypass the heart. You can't do that. The heart is of supreme importance to Christ. In fact, that's what he talks about in the passage we're going to look at next week. The relationship goes over rules, and the relationship with Christ is more important than all the little rules and regulations you follow. So in Jesus' time, the tradition of the elders was this developing system of interpretation, not written down yet, and it was distinctive to the Pharisees. The Pharisees held on to these things, and it had not yet been written or organized. That happened after A.D. 70, resulting in the Mishnah, and it was championed by a rabbi called Judah the Prince around A.D. 200. And the idea was that the rules of Jewish life and religion which over centuries were passed down and came to be seen as valid and binding and equal to the word of God. They didn't question it. Many considered them more important than the word of God. They put their word above God's. Hundreds, literally hundreds of, of stipulations and regulations and commentary and interpretations and complicated applications. In fact, here's the one that they, they, the fight they pick with Jesus. How come you encourage your disciples to eat with unwashed hands? Now, parents, I know you're saying, well, of course, you've got to wash your hands before you eat. I tell my kids that all the time. I try to wash my hands before I eat. I don't want all those germs getting into my food. I understand all that. That's what, not what this was about. This was not, oh, by the way, your, your disciples aren't being healthy. They didn't care about their health. They cared about them doing exactly what they said the problem was jesus was a threat to them why did they come all the way down from jerusalem to deal with jesus you know for some leaders they'd say oh he's going to amount to nothing the problem was jesus was speaking with an authority all his own and he was impinging upon their system that enslaved the people and didn't deal with the heart but dealt with outward observance dealt with outward religious activity they do not wash their hands when they eat bread, they said. Um, 
That was not found in Scripture the, the way that they had given it. There was this complicated way of washing hands. They had to be pointing up and then down and this way and that way. They had to have certain amounts of water. They, they washed their hands before and after meals and even between courses. And it was all about being right with God by doing this. Verse 3, Jesus answers their question with in in common uh, rabbinic fashion with a question in fact the 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 and there is very significant because what he's saying is what i'm about to say trumps what you said because you have are far more guilty than my disciples of doing something wrong he said to them why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of god for the sake of your tradition so here the the word the commandment of god is being contrasted with the tradition of the elders because in their minds they they were the tradition of the elders was the thing they the authority that they were claiming and jesus says why do you transgress the commandment of god for the sake of your tradition and then in verses four and five he gives an example of something that was going on in their culture that they would have known exactly what he was talking about verse 4 he says God said there's the authority God said honor your father and mother from Exodus chapter 20 it's one of the ten commandments the fifth command honor your father and mother and then he said and God said who he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death the scripture said that verse 5 though he said but you say it sounds a, a little bit similar to when he says in the sermon on the mount you have heard but I say to you now he flips that around and says you God said this you you know God said this but here's what you're saying you say this whoever says to his father or mother whatever I have that would help you has been given to God they had a word it was Corban it's the word for gift they could actually say the word Corban and and it was all covered see the Pharisees and the scribes had found a loophole a way to, get, to line their pockets worth more money and, and let the people do whatever they wanted with their own money because then they could get more of it. And they found a way to get out of keeping the fifth command. They said, if you say to your mom and dad, I gave the money to God. I'm sorry, but I can't care for you in your old age. I know that, uh, that the fifth command says I am supposed to, but, and that God will honor that, but I, I gave the money to God. So they were able to, to say the word Corban, pronounce that over the situation, and, and skate, basically. There's a similarity here. It's not a huge, huge similarity, but it's a similarity to when someone wants to get out of paying taxes on something, they'll say, I'm going to write down that I gave it to you as a gift, so they don't have to pay the tax. Well, on a far, far, far greater scale, the Pharisees were saying, we found a loophole where you don't have to follow God's word to the, to the letter, you'll get more money, and of course, you'll be giving more. And, and, and it basically says that verse 6, he, you've told them, they don't have to honor their father or, his mo- or the mother. And then Jesus says, and by this, you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. The word invalidated means to nullify. It, it means to invalidate the authority of. The Greek word originally meant break a covenant. See, when you invalidate something, you, you don't take away its inherent 
power and authority. You basically block its power and authority in your life. You've, you block the effects in your life. Let's say you're driving home from church today and, and you say, I don't acknowledge the authority of peace officers. And so you're going 90 miles an hour down the street and you pass a peace officer, a patrolman, let's say. And, and, they, and, and as you're going, you're thinking, I don't acknowledge their authority. I'm just going to keep going. They're going pa- to they're they're catch up to you and pull you over. Now, if, if, when they walk up to the window and they say, uh, license and registration, please, and you say, I'm sorry, I do not acknowledge your authority. Now, you'll be getting out of the car, right? And the problem is this, is that um, you are still accountable to that officer as he upholds the authority of the law. It doesn't matter what you say about it. It doesn't make it false. It doesn't make it um, a non-entity if you just say, I, I just imagine that it's not there. It's there, and you're going to pay one way or the other. Now here, Jesus is using the word of God as synonymous with the commandment of God, very, very similar to Psalm 19, Psalm 119, which has many names, titles for the word of God. Um, and and there's, there's something that comes up in this, and you, you might have already thought this. You say, wait a minute. Isaiah 55 says that God's word will not return to him void without succeeding in the manner the matter for which he sent it it's not going to return to him empty but here jesus said you made void the word of god well the idea is this that when people void the word of god they block its power in their lives they quench the spirit now jesus says in verse 7 and this you can't downplay this he calls them hypocrites. You hypocrites! It's an exclamation. It, they're fighting words. They're strong words. They, he are, he's calling them fakers, actors, insincere, unreal. They would not have said thank you. You hypocrites. First time Jesus calls them hypocrites in Matthew's gospel. It won't be the last. He says, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. Literally, Beautifully did Isaiah paint a portrait of you. Verse, verse 8, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. Hypocrites, they're the ones who wear a mask, and they know they're doing it. He honors God with their lips, says all the right things, but don't really believe. Heart is far away, like that deceitful enemy in Proverbs, uh, pretends to be with you and on your side and diametrically opposed to you. They're a worm, they're an imposter, they're a spy for the other team. And then verse 9, he continues quoting Isaiah, and he says, but in vain do they worship me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Vain worship is hollow and empty and to no purpose and unfruitful. And when you see it, when vain is used in relation to people, it means they're engaging in evil. And the precepts of men are set up against the commandments of God. They, they had used their own ideas as an excuse to dishonor God, a catalyst for greed. It was an avenue to raise self above God that many would not discern, but did not escape God's notice. Excuse me, Hebrews chapter 4 in verse 12. What does it say about the Word of God? Hebrews 4. 
verse 12. It says this, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God discerns our thoughts and intentions of our heart. Verse 13 says, No creature is hidden from his sight. The Spirit of God applying the Word of God. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. We see several characteristics of God's Word and man's opinion in this passage. The couple, a couple things, a few things about God's Word we see here. They're biggies. First of all, God's Word is everlasting. It's everlasting. Verse 3 says, You transgress the commandment of God. Transgress means to go by the side of, literally to go around. See, they got to go around it because it exists. It stands. It's there and, and they can't do anything about it. You, you can't ultimately go past the Word of God. It will chase you down. It's unchanging. It's lasting. It's, it's permanent. Isaiah 40 and verse 8 says, The grass withers, the flower falls off, but the Word of our God stands forever. I think we have a hard time grasping that. I know I do. Uh, understanding, because we're finite and we're temporary, it's hard to understand what lasts forever. But just think of the things that last a long time that you know of here on earth. Think of something in your, in your, in your pantry at home that had been in there 10 years and it's still got another 20-year shelf life. Maybe a Twinkie or a can of some sort of food. Think about ancient artifacts that are found that are you know 10,000 years old. Forget the millions um, stuff that some people try to uh, perpetuate. Just go with 10,000 years. That's a long, long time. And, and, or you go to, go to the country and, and, and go into a barn and, and you find something that's been there 100 years. Like, wow, it's so well preserved. It's not been out in the elements and, and it's still, it's, it's, all, it's not all rusted out or whatever. But you think about whatever you know that lasts a really, really long time the idea of everlasting, our brains can't even fathom. But God's word is everlasting. God's word is also, and we see it in verse 6, it is authoritative. Jesus said, you invalidate the word of God. You, you revoke its authority. It, you make it of no effect. The, the, the term made void comes from two words, not and authority. No authority is what you're saying. But it stands above all others. First, preeminent, strong, powerful, pointed, important enough for God to say and say again. Sometimes in Scripture you see the same thing repeated in the same verse or the same passage. You see the same ideas repeated over and over again in Scripture because it's so important. By the way, the ability to nullify presupposes authority. If you uh, uh, nullify the authority of something, it presupposes that that thing has authority to nullify. It stands above all others. It's first. It's pre preeminent. Exodus twenty twelve is what Jesus was, was quoting. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that your Lord, the Lord has given you. He also quoted Exodus twenty one seventeen. Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. Literally, will, shall die the death. Uh, Leviticus 20 and verse 9. Uh, restatement. Anyone who curses his father or mother shall surely be put to death. 
he has cursed his father or his mother, his blood shall be upon him. Deuteronomy 5.16, a retelling of the fifth command. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long, that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God has given you. It's restated again in Ephesians chapter 6. But God's word is authoritative. It stands. And you have to either go around it or face it. The third thing about God's word is that it is trustworthy. It is trustworthy. It's, it's reliable. Look at verse 3. Verse 3, he answered, Why do you break the commandment of God? And then he said, For God commanded this. This is what God said. It's reliable. It's true. It's, we say it's inerrant and infallible. It's without error. It will not lead you astray. Here's what the psalmist said. Psalm 119, verse 128. I esteem right all your precepts concerning everything. I hate every false way. He said in, in verse 144, your testimonies are righteous altogether. Give me understanding that I may live. He says in, in, in Psalm 119, verse 24, your testimonies are my counselors. You having a problem? Open up your Bible. Be counseled as the Spirit of God applies the Word of God in the life of a child of God. You having a problem? Talk to your Christian friends and let them counsel you with Scripture. They're your counselors. Now we also see some things about man's opinions here that are the, the direct opposite of, of God's Word and its, its characteristics. First thing we see is that man's opinions are not everlasting. They are temporary. Verse 6, he says, Your tradition, that was a constantly changing, always in flux situation. You know how you'd know if something changed because this was all oral? It was all passed on word of mouth? You would know because you'd get corrected for it. You would be told, you're supposed to do this. It's, it's, it's temporary. It's always changing. Subject to change without notice. Fails the test of time. Doesn't endure. Doesn't last. It's temporary versus eternal. And man's opinions are also not authoritative. They're weak. Look at verse 9. Jesus says, In vain do you worship me. To no good purpose. You're using faulty logic. It's flawed. It's error prone. See, unless they're based on the word of God, they can't stand up to scrutiny. So, so man's opinions, not based on the word of God, are weak. Won't hold up. And man's opinions are also not trustworthy. They're unreliable. Verse 7, they're generated by hypocrites. They're born of hypocrites. They're false. They're deceptive. At best, they're sincerely wrong. Doesn't ring true. The psalmist also said in Psalm 119, verse 37, Turn away my eyes, O Lord, from looking at vanity. And revive me in your ways. It's not enough to just turn my eyes away from looking at vain, purposeless things. But put me in the right direction. Cause me to flourish again. Revive me in your ways. Jesus' response to the Pharisees make it very clear that the, the issue here is not washing your hands. It wasn't a health issue. You know, when you go to the bathroom at the restaurant, it has... has uh, the, the sign right there, you know, wash your hands before you go out there if you work here. And if you don't, you should too. But the real issue was that tradition, the views and the commandments of man, 
was being substituted for the commandment of God. In the name of religion, in the name of God, personal views were being substituted for the authoritative word of God. Wow, it's so easy for us to look back and go, wow, what were they thinking? This has been a hard passage for me to to study this week because you can't look at this passage and only think, what were they thinking? You must also ask the question, what am I thinking? What am I doing? What traditions do I put before God's word? What word of man? And traditions is a loaded term for us in our culture, isn't it? Um, Here's a, a few other words you could use. What opinions? What ideas? What philosophies? What preferences? I was thinking a lot this week about ologies and isms. And there's a lot of ologies and isms that get raised up against the, over the knowledge of God and, and over His Word. Um, sometimes, and I, I was actually challenged uh, by, uh, by a student recently on this point. How come you don't integrate uh, more psychology and sociology and other things with theology? How come? And I said, I'll tell you why. Because God's word is over every other word. And other disciplines are very important, but they're, they're secondary. Primary is God's word over all. That's what the Bible says. So without apology, let's, let's set that straight in our minds and resolve for that. God's word is over all of the words. And any ology or ism that you might hold to is at best secondary a lot of great ideas out there but they're not God's word unless they're from God's word you test what I say you need to test what I say you need to test what you see in your study Bible that aren't God's word you need to test everything you hear and read and and whether it's verbal or on on, in print we are a people of words are we not of of communicated ideas there are a lot of communicated ideas going out over there, and I will say this. We're not as pure as we think we are. You know, the Grace Brethren has as their unofficial motto, in fact, the church I preached in last week, I missed you so much, but I, I preached at, at Norwalk Grace Brethren last week for their 100th anniversary, and their, their pulpit um, was a, this glass pulpit that you could see through. And uh, it said, th- but it said this. This is the unofficial uh, Grace Brethren motto. The Bible the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. Well, that's wonderful to say, but how many people actually uh, base their belief, their faith, and their practice on the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible? We are very syncretistic. We put a little bit of this ology and a little bit of that ism and mix it all together. Let me give you some examples of what happens. I, I read an article this week that just broke my heart. A Christian leader in America said that if a man has a wife with Alzheimer's, he's justified in divorcing her. He repudiated the gospel of the grace of God in Christ with that statement. Marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. You want Christ to say, hey, you've been unfaithful, or you can't fulfill what I want you to fulfill, I'm divorcing you? So what you have there is no longer able versus honor and cherish someone who will break that covenant over that or over other things 
sees it as a contract, not a covenant. Because a covenant, you say, I'm not going to break this until death. That's what those vows are about. How about in politics? How many times have you heard, let's take America back for God? Really? How about let's come back to God? Let's just individually and corporately repent. How about money? That idea of, hey, it's mine, and God gets what I give him. Versus everything I have is his, everything I have is from him. How about in, in family life, with even, even this, these verses that Jesus was, was presenting to the Pharisees? How about, how about children? Uh, honor your father and mother. Oh, but look what they did. I don't have to because look what they did. You're going to come up against this every single day. Are you going to listen to man's wisdom or God's? Are you going to listen to man's opinions, whether they're yours or someone else's, or God's? The choice is yours. But here's what I want to do in the, t- the remainder of our time. I want to I I talk about how can you can identify and guard against error in your own life, primarily, and in your own household. Deal, deal, with your, deal with the home base first, okay? Don't worry about everybody else. If you're thinking about all, everyone else and what they're doing, you need to focus in and say, Lord, forgive me. Look, let me say this. We all feel like hypocrites to one degree or another. We all know we're not 100% pure when it comes to what we think, what we believe, what we're practicing. Uh, but how can we break free from the tendency to put our opinions or man's opinions over God's opinions let me give you three things they're not three simple things they're three really really hard things number one immerse yourself in God's word and pray for understanding immerse yourself in God's word and pray for understanding let's see what what Proverbs 2 says Proverbs 2 Proverbs 2 my son if you verse 1 if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. The Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Paul talked to Timothy about paying close attention to himself and to his teaching. You've got to immerse yourself in God's word and then pray for understanding. Seek God's word for the right reasons. Long for the pure milk of the word, the unadulterated pure milk of God. But long for it. And make sure you're giving God's word top priority. Soak in God's word. Marinate in it. Saturate yourself with it. In, dwell in it. Meditate on it. Know the real thing so well you can spot a fake. God's word must be your ultimate authority. See, when, when God is your highest authority and his word is your highest authority, you will immerse yourself in scripture because your heart is with God. When you are your highest authority, you make God's word serve your purposes and revoke the authority of God's word. I'll give you a couple examples. If you have a study Bible, by the way, I have like every study Bible there is. And I use them. I use commentaries. I use biblical uh, word study helps. I use a lot of books, a lot of sources. But if you've got a study Bible... And you rely more on the notes at the bottom of the page 
then you need to stop using that study Bible because it's a snare for you now because whoever wrote those notes is more authoritative to you than God. If, you're, if, you're, if your eyes always go to the bottom of the page to the notes, it might be time to wean yourself off of that and dig into the word of God. It's not bad to get ideas from other people and especially ones you trust, whether they're friends, whether they're, I've got a lot of friends I've never met. They're authors and pastors and theologians that through the years have, their ideas have rung true and have gone, uh, uh, they're, they're, they jive with Orthodox Christianity. They, they, they're not out there with weird, crazy ideas. So I can look at a name and say, they're usually pretty right on. But I don't agree with them on everything. I don't take it hook, line, and sinker on every, anything unless God said it. What about this? If you, if you measure everything through the grid of your particular form or brand of orthodoxy and, or an author or a pastor and everything has got to agree with them, maybe you're relying too much on man's opinions. What's your compass? What compass do you use? Is it the word of God or the word of man? You've got to make sure you're worshiping God. You could be worshiping someone or something else. You've got to keep yourself from idols. You've got to pray for understanding. Rely on the Spirit to give you understanding that aligns with the historic Christian faith, realizing that you're deceived at some point. You have to realize that. I love using ivory soap. 99 point whatever pure, right? But not 100%. How about ground beef? 100% beef? I don't think so. You got a big, you know, thing. Every person, by the way, every manufacturer of food goods is allowed to put some percentage of other things in there. So have fun at lunch today, okay? None of us has an absolute corner on the truth. We have a mixture of good stuff and not so good. Michael Horton talked about a popular trend that emphasizes direct communication with the Holy Spirit apart from the, from the Word of God. By the way, that's false. Direct communication with the Holy Spirit apart from the Word of God won't be happening. Doesn't happen. Here's what Calvin said about things like that. When the fanatics boast extravagantly of the Spirit, the tendency is always to bury the Word of God so that they may make room for their own falsehoods. See, there can be no communication with God apart from the written and living Word of God. Everything depends on the spoken and written Word delivered by God to us through the prophets and apostles. Second thing, examine everything carefully and be accountable to other people. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. You don't just walk up to someone out on the street that's a total stranger and do that verse to them. Absolutely not. This is in the context of Christian community with people you know and love. About verse 21. Test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. See, Jesus, by the way, in verses 3 through 5, was pointing them to hold fast to what is good. He's saying, look, here's what God said. You're not going with it. He said, 
uh, I invite you to examine everything closely. They would not. That's how you avoid deception, by examining everything closely. Be discerning. See, a lot of people think, oh, the Bible's so hard. It's difficult. It's obscure. It's confusing. Those are usually people that don't read the Bible very much that say that. The Bible is very, very clear. The Bible preaches itself. The Holy Spirit applies it in the life of the the child of God. Sure, there's some things that are hard to understand, but on the whole, the Bible is really easy to understand for a Christian. But so people think, oh, the Bible's difficult, it's obscure, it's confusing. It's because they're not reading it. And, And then, so today people say, hey, pastor, give me the net breakdown. You tell me the three things I need to know and how it'll make sense in my life this week. That's all I want, the facts. No, no, you know what you need? The whole truth. You need to be eating the Bible all week long. You come here, then you can test what I say and make sure it's accurate with the word. So you weigh commentary, you weigh explanations, you weigh ideas springing from the word. Does it ring true? Are there other scriptures that that agree with it, that support it? Be a Berean. Examine what was offered to them. They were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why? Because they received the word of God with great eagerness and they daily examined to make sure that what was being taught was true. So here's what you do. Don't use God's word to, to, to put over, to, don't take man's opinions and put it over God's word and then try to slide out from underneath accountable relationships or hide from being real with people. I have heard so many Christians say, I love going to that church because I can just hide. That's not biblical. You need to know and be known. And don't use ideas that you think are based on God's word as an excuse to engage in things that don't please God or disengage from what does please God. You need to be connected relationally so you have those checks and balances because God's word sets men free. Man's word enslaves. Therefore, relationships built on God's word will be healthy, will be flourishing, will be good for you. You need to worship God and teach his truth. Share your life in the gospel, as 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 and 8 says. You're not meant to travel alone in the, in the Christian life. The one and others are very, very essential. It's, by the way, the Christian life is not this individualistic thing where you discover for yourself from the Bible what you will or will not believe. Uh, a lot of people will say, hey, forget the church, I got my Bible. That's enough. No, it's not. We are to live in community. Read your Bible. We are to live in community with others, other believers for mutual encouragement and accountability. There's got to be fact-checking going on. Uh, Last thing, last thing. Um, Live a life of repentance and willingly accept correction. Live a life of repentance and willingly accept correction. Uh, Proverbs 19, verse 20. Proverbs 19, verse 20, is a simple verse, but it says, it, says, um, it says this. It says, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. It's good for you. Listen and accept it. It's not painless. Of course it's not. Being corrected is hard, right? But it will help you in the future. See, Jesus was talking to hypocrites and they should have repented and willingly accept his correction, but they did not. They were acting. 
They said one thing with their lips. They thought another in their hearts. But when God is your highest authority, you will immerse yourself in his word. And and you will engage in what is called repentance on an ongoing basis. It's a sign of life in the spiritual realm. No repentance, no life. There's no repentance in your life. You probably don't know Christ. It's simple as that. See, ultimately, if God's word is not your ultimate authority, it's because you've elevated something else in your life, and most time it's you. You've elevated yourself. That's the essence of sin, valuing self over God. Doing right and pleasing God is always begins with turning away from sin and back to God. Part of being accountable is that you willingly accept correction. And if you don't or you won't, if everyone around you is afraid of you because they know how mad you get when you get corrected, it's because you've already proven that you, you won't be corrected because you're not teachable. You're arrogant. Accountable people are humble. Humble people are accountable. Now, everyone's going to come up to me and correct me after the service, right? The Pharisees should have been humble. They were arrogant. Um, we've always got to be testing our heart letting God test our heart Psalm 19 verse 14 in the context of God's word says this may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart what I think about be acceptable in your sight O Lord my rock and my redeemer I need to do that every day you need to do that every day we should love to be corrected by God and by, by, by his word and by other people that we know and love. Worship team's gonna come back up. We're gonna sing one last song. And um, let me just say this. The answer to our tendency to put man's opinions above God's word, basically going after idols, is this. Replace them with a living encounter with the one true living God. Put your idols to death by God's spirit through his word. And this cannot be done by sheer willpower. It cannot be done by promise-making resolve. This must be done by God's Spirit through His Word. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom to constantly monitor and, and check where we're at with you, be aware of what's going on in our heart and around us, that we'd watch over our heart with all diligence, we would pay a close attention to ourselves and our teaching, we know, Lord, you want your word to be our ultimate authority so we would worship you and we would teach accurately. Lord, we, we, we also know that your word applied by your spirit in your child's life comforts us and challenges us but also convicts us and moves us to action so that enemies of, of God are replaced with your truth. So, Lord, give us grace. Uh, establish your word to us so, as that which produces reverence for you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.